Let me put it this way. If all people knew about you was not your real life, but was your online life by what they see you post on Facebook, by the, what they see you tweet about, by what they see your TikTok videos or what they see you uh, put on Instagram. If that is all they knew about you and then you invited them to church, would they come? What if they vote differently than you? Or what if they cheer for your team's rival? Yeah, preacher getting real on Iron Bowl week, right? It's like, that was Iron Bowl week, man. I mean, what if the, and now, if you're not on social media, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I've got some questions. For, it's easy because we've got a lot of things. So is what, what people know about you, does it make it easy for them to believe what you believe about Jesus? Or does what they know about you make it difficult for them to believe what you believe about Jesus? What about the way you treat people? Let me, like, let me ask you this question. If you were on a customer service call and at the end of that call with customer service, you decided to share the gospel with them, was the way you talked to them, would it make it easy for them to believe it? Or would it make them, diff- would it be more difficult? What about your reputation? Would it make it more easy or would it make it more Difficult for them to believe what you believe about this. Uh, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning, okay? There are going to be a lot of questions up on the screen because I want you to think deeply this morning about this issue, about making it easy and making it difficult, about our own personal lives. We're going to talk corporately about us as a church, how we can make it easier, difficult. But I really want you to think about your own life because I think that's what makes all the difference in the world. And we're going to look at a story in one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Acts, in which one of the most pivotal decisions has ever made in the history of the church. I think in 2000 years of Christianity, I think the most Pivotal turning point happened when Christianity was about 10 years old. And it's basically, we're going to read the minutes from the very first church business meeting. That's what it is. Now, some people are like, those things bore me to death. Other people love them some church minutes, man. They love them. If you love them, you're going to love this. But even if you don't love them, I promise you, this is going to be the most exciting, exhilarating church business. That's basically what it was. It was the first church business meeting that they had to make a decision. And the book of Acts gives us the, uh, the minutes from the meeting. Now, today and this series has really been a vision casting for our church. Uh, as we've been dreaming about what's possible. And so I'm talking to mountaintop today. I'm really talking to church people. If you're not a church person and you're kind of new, or maybe you've been one or two weeks and you're not sure about God or about Jesus, but you're curious and maybe you're new to our church. I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for coming. I hope that you'll listen in because I have a feeling that you have experienced in church some of what we're going to talk about today. And hopefully what you'll see is in what we read is that That was not God's original purpose and plan. That God did not intend for the church to be maybe some of the negative experiences that you might have had at church. So thanks for coming. Because here's the problem. I think that over the course of 2,000 years, some way, somehow, the church just got really off kilter, off course, out of balance in how we do things. We... We tend to make things, church people love to tend to make things really important. 
All right. And there's a lot of important stuff that happens in church, but we get, we got out of whack somewhere over the course of 2000 years, the things that we make important. Like for instance, we make music really important in church and the kind of music and the style of music that we want. We make buildings really important. We made buildings so important. We built cathedrals all over Europe because buildings became really important. We make traditions really important. And we make ministries really important. Now, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I mean, we need buildings. We have traditions. No matter how old your church is, we have ministries. They're they're important things. The problem is, is that we get so tied up in in these discussions. We get so, uh, you know, I mean, just try stopping a ministry. Well, we've done that ministry for 10 years. Just try, you know. We have lots of long church business meetings about the color of upholstery we're going to have on the chairs. Things that, here's the problem. It's not that they're not important. They're just not eternal. You know what's eternal? People. People are eternal. They're not just important. They're, they're eternal. And so one of the problems that, that happens with that, sometimes we get confused between what is important and what is eternal? We make important secondary things become primary things. And sometimes those important secondary things can actually hinder our ability to reach with the good news people who are eternal. Let me, let me put it this way. It is almost as if sometimes we want what is important to us to become important to them more than we want them to be saved. Now you say, no, 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 let's, we, we want, so here's a question I'm going to ask you. Do you want to reach people with the gospel or do you want things that are important to you to be important to them? Like, what is your life mission? Do you want to reach people with the gospel or do you want things that are important to you to be important to them? Do you want them to vote for your candidate or surrender to your king? I mean, so which, how much time do you spend on social media trying to get people to vote for your candidate or surrender to your king? Because one might be important, but only one of those is eternal. Do you want them to cheer for your team or do you want them to join God's team? Which one do you want? Do you want them to like your music, our buildings, our traditions, our ministries, or do we want them to give their lives to Jesus? Because here's the problem is, do you want to reach people with the gospel or do you want the things that are important to you to be important to them? Do you want them to know Jesus? Because you might not can do both. And here's what I know. God did not send his son Jesus for preferences, for traditions, for ministries. He sent his son Jesus to die for one thing, people. And guess guess what? Check, Check this out. Right now, like we're sitting here right now. And do you know that some of those people... You know where they're at right now? They're at Target. That's where they're at right now. They're at Publix. They went there because they knew all the church people would be here and they want to get all the Thanksgiving food while you're here. 
Some of them played around a golf this morning because it's pretty. It was a be- it's a beautiful November day. Some of them are washing clothes and doing laundry because that's what they do on Sunday morning. Some of them just slept in and they're watching NFL Live. Some of- that's what they're doing because the- for them, it- they haven't darkened the doors of the church for years. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my life on stuff that is important but secondary. I want to give my life to eternity because we are not in the business of just important stuff. We are in the business of changing lives forever. That's what we do. Yeah, you can cheer for that. Doing that might make you really uncomfortable. Be warned. It made the very first Christians very uncomfortable. The scripture we're going to look at is in the book of Acts. And if you're you're looking along, you got your phones or you got a Bible there, you can turn to Acts 15. Everything we're going to do is going to be in Acts 15. We're going to kind of uh, bounce around in that chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, take one back at our, uh, as you're going through either door, as you leave, we've got free Bibles there. We want to give that to you so you can study. But I want to give you kind of a rundown from Acts 1 to Acts, through Acts 14. Because you've got to understand the story to understand this story before we unpack this passage. Now, Acts, I, I said it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I love it. It's the only book of its kind. I love church. I've given my life to serving in the church. I planted a church before, so it's all about the planting of the original church. It is written by a man named Luke who wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all tell the stories of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And then most of the rest of the New Testament are letters. It's letters written from the apostle Paul, some written from Peter, really about how to be the church and what it means to be Christian. And these new people that are learning this new way to live. There's a book at the end called Revelation, which is an apocalyptical book uh, about end times. But sandwiched in the middle of the Gospels and all those letters is the only book of its kind called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It is about the birth of the church and how the church came to be. Luke, incredibly educated man, he was a physician. Most scholars believe that he was a disciple of the Apostle Paul so that most of Paul's missionary journeys. He went with him and, and, and studied under him. So that's why he knew so much about what Paul did. <clears throat> so the very first part of Acts, uh, Jesus gives, it's right like Jesus, like the last words he says before he ascends into heaven. And he tells the disciples, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. And then he finishes it off with, to, to guess where? I mean, to the ends of the earth. To the entire world. So you know what they did? They stayed in Jerusalem. Uh, pretty much, pretty, like day one, they didn't do what Jesus told them to do. Day one, they stay in Jerusalem, but things will start working out really well. The Holy Spirit comes, bless, I mean, just explodes on the church. And Peter preaches the very first Christian sermon. And it's the best altar call ever. Three thousand people are saved the first day. So people that say, I'm not sure I like a big church. My response is you wouldn't have liked the first one because <laughs> on day one, it was a 3000 member church, right? You wouldn't have liked the first. I mean, and so then Luke writes and acts over and over again, that, like you'll hear this sentence and the Lord added to their number 
and more were added. And, the, and in fact, at one point, Luke writes that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single day, more and more people were coming to faith in Christ. There's another uh, instance where another thousand or so were added. The movement grows up to about 5,000. But then there is an event that shakes the foundations of the early Christians, the very first church. And get this, at this point, there's no denominations. They're just believers in Jesus. But then they start meeting resistance. And a man named Stephen who wasn't one of the original disciples, but he was kind of like a second group of leaders. After the movement and the organization grew so big, they had to appoint more leaders. So the apostles appoint seven other guys, and Stephen is one of them, to help care for this huge organization that they are now shepherding and pastoring. But Stephen is stoned to death for his faith. He's he's executed. He's martyred for being a follower of Jesus. And Luke writes in Acts, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. And all of a sudden, this movement that had been tight and that had been growing kind of loses a little momentum and it scatters. People get away from Jerusalem because now it has become dangerous in many ways. The church leaders stay, but all these ancillary and all the guys on the fringes, they scatter. But their scattering leads to a miracle. And some of the people that scatter go to a community called Antioch. Now, you get Jerusalem was down here, so they scatter all the way up to Antioch. And they go to Antioch, and these believers, and it doesn't say that the apostles went or any of the disciples, just some of the believers. And they go, and they begin telling their story about Jesus. They begin telling the story that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that he is the Son of God, and that all who believe in him can be saved. And something really ha- interesting happens there. You see, remember they stayed in Jerusalem the first time? And all of those that would consider themselves followers of Jesus would have considered themselves, they were Jewish people who believed Jesus was the Messiah. But they considered themselves still Jews. But something happens in Antioch. Non-Jews began believing in Jesus. Gentiles. In fact, Luke writes that in Antioch, the term Christian is used for the first time. Isn't that cool? That the term, you consider yourself like, it's just second nature 2,000 years later. You say, what are you? I'm a Christian. The first it was used in Antioch. Because they had to come up with another term. Because they weren't Jews. They were Christians. They, they were people who had not followed the traditions of the Jews for all these years. And then they believed. So, listen, this, they caught wind of this in Jerusalem. That something crazy is happening. People that don't even believe in Moses and Abraham and all the Jewish stuff are coming to faith in Jesus. So they send another leader named Barnabas who grabs this young recent convert named Paul who had been known as Saul. He had been a bad dude and turned into a good dude. And he takes Paul with him to Antioch to check it out. And Paul and Barnabas stay for an entire year teaching these new Christians what it means to be Christian. What it means to follow Jesus. What it means to surrender their lives to him. The church is built up in such strength. This is so cool. Listen, don't lose me. I know we're doing a lot of history. It's church history. There's a little 101 class before we get to the passage. 
they come to such strength that they send Barnabas and Paul on this route. This is known as Paul's very first missionary journey. And he goes all over the Mediterranean and all the coastal areas sharing this message. And and they come back sometime later and they report that the same thing that had happened at Antioch was happening all across the Mediterranean. People who were Gentiles, who were non-Jews, were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, it's an amazing story. And then Luke writes that sometime at some point, and this is what he says, certain people come to Antioch and they come to Antioch and here's their message. You guys believe in Jesus. That's great. But if you're going to consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you also have to follow all of the Jewish laws. Now, do you know how many Jewish laws there were? 613. So they're like, good news, guys. You've got a good start. Um, You've got 613 more to go. And if you haven't been circumcised, you need to be circumcised. And if you don't keep Sabbath, you need to start keeping Sabbath. And you need their dietary restrictions and their cleanliness codes. And there's commandments that you have to follow. There's all kinds of things that you have to do. There's, there's eating restrictions. And this is what they tell them. that What you believed about Jesus isn't enough. And this is what in verse 2 of chapter 15 It said, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate about them. Sharp dispute. They said things to one another. They got into a shouting match. They tweeted things they probably shouldn't have. Sharp dispute. Some of you are thinking, this will be Thanksgiving around the table, right? There will be sharp disputes, right? Especially on Iron Bowl week. Um, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to see the apostles and the elders about this question. What was the question? Does a person have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that he forgave my sins, or does a person have to believe that Plus, follow 613 rules and laws and restrictions. Is it, is it that plus? Well, Paul and Barnabas go, the brothers and sisters and the community of faith welcome them in. They're so glad. They're amazed at this report. And they're just so happy to hear. But then somebody in the back goes to a mic. And it says, then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now, don't miss that they were believers. They belong to the party of the Pharisees. So the, all this means, if you don't know what a Pharisee is, that they were very Jewish. Some of the believers who were very Jewish, that'll just make it make more sense to you. This was a very strict law adhering group, but they were believers in Jesus. They had come to believe that Jesus was the son of God. They stood up and here's what they said. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. They must be required. They have believed that Jesus is the son of God, but we believe what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that you are required to keep the law of Moses and the apostles and elders met to consider this question. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that was a closed part of the business meeting. They go back. But at some point in the meeting, then Peter gets up and Peter had had an interesting story 
He was really Jewish, not a Pharisee, but really Jewish. Grown up a little Jewish boy, follower of Jesus, one of the disciples, probably the lead disciple. But God had been challenging Peter to also reach Gentiles. And he had had some experience where he saw God move in Gentiles. And Peter stands up and he says, guys, I've seen what God's doing at work in the Gentiles. And we've seen that the Holy Spirit has come on them. We've seen them full of the same spirit that we're full of. And then he, he begins, then Peter challenges them. And he says, why are we requiring them to do something that we don't even all do really well? I mean, all 613. He's like, look, come on, come on, guys. Listen, do you follow all 613 laws? John, 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 do you follow all 613 laws? I mean, you know, the commandments say you should not covet, but John, I saw you last week and you were looking at the other guy's new camel because he's got the new 2019 camel and your camel's a 2017 and his has the LED lights under the camel. I mean, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, come on, listen, are you really saying that you're saved because you're really good at Sabbath keeping? Andrew, Andrew, you're, you're my own brother. Andrew, are you really saying you're saved because you don't eat shellfish? Guys, we don't believe we're saved for that. Come on, guys. We saw Jesus crucified and three days later, he was alive. And then Peter makes this profound statement. He says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. We don't, we believe that they're saved and we're saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus, not because we're good at rule keeping. Because we don't even always keep the rules we're supposed to keep. And now you're telling them they've got to keep the rules that we don't keep so good ourselves. And then it says that the whole crowd became silent. The church business meeting got really quiet. And Paul and Barnabas shared their testimony about what God did in Antioch. And all across the Mediterranean. And then this is such a cool moment in the story. I I get chills thinking about it because this, I mean, this is a critical turning point in, in the history of our faith. James, when they finished James, you know who this is? This is the brother of Jesus, the half brother of Jesus. The apostle James had been martyred. He had been executed in the persecution. James, the brother of Jesus, the guy who had come to believe that Jesus was the son of God. Anybody in here got a half brother? What would it take for you to believe your half brother was the son of God? I mean, James's testimony is the greatest testimony ever because if you've got a brother, I've got one. He ain't the son of God. Let me just tell you. I love him. I love him. And he would say the same thing about me. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Listen to me. And then James quotes a prophet. He says, don't you know that our our prophets told us that this was going to happen, that what you have seen, what you have heard Paul and Barnabas talk about, our very own prophets, and he quotes the prophet Amos, and he says this, don't you remember that Amos said, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins, I will rebuild and I will restore it. So what is James saying here? That 
there had come a time God had promised King David that he would always have someone on the throne of Israel. But Israel got sideways and there had come a time that there was not a descendant of David, but Jesus was from the line of David born in Bethlehem and had ascended to the throne and he would be forever. And James says, Amos prophesied that this would happen. Would it be that just so the Jews could be back on top again? Would it just be so the kingdom of Israel could be restored? Would it just be so we could defeat the evil Roman empire? Empire? No, God did this for one reason, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Man, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Then, in one of the most powerful, profound, and pivotal statements in the entire New Testament, James says, It is my judgment, therefore. Ooh, what do you think he's going to say? You know what hung in the balance right here? I mean, this is thousands of years of tradition. Do you know how fast we get traditions in churches? Our church is like a baby church compared to most churches. 27, 28 years old. Like what if we decided next week we're going to stop serving coffee? Huh, right? Y'all like, are y'all thinking about that? Somebody's like, are y'all thinking about that? No, we're not thinking about that. But I've heard stories about there was a time Mountaintop served donuts on Sunday mornings. Right? Until we woke up one day and figured out we were spending $12,000 a year on donuts. Right? We said, we're not sure that's been the best steward. And I heard there was a big, there was a big deal when we stopped the donuts. I mean, here's thousands of years of tradition. Not 25 years, 30 years, thousands of years. Here's what hung in the balance. Friday night high school football and Saturday afternoon college football hung in the balance. Because Sabbath starts on sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. How many of you had barbecue this week? I did. Barbecue and shellfish hung in the, hung in the, the balance. Men, what you do with your beard hung in the balance. 613 laws for the next 2,000 years hung in the balance. Here's what hung in the balance. Is the starting point in Christianity what we believe or how we behave? Do you have to act right to get in? Is it Jesus plus? And for some of you, I said, if you're here and you're kind of new and you're checking out church and you've experienced, this is what some of you have experienced in church, that you didn't feel like you belonged because you didn't quite behave like all the church people. And you were made to feel like you didn't wear the right clothes or you didn't do the right things or you didn't have the right friends or you had some things going on in your life. And you were made to feel that that's what it meant to go to church, that that's what it means to come to Christ, to get your act together, to get your life cleaned up. Is that the starting point? What James is saying, here's what hung in the balance. Is it about what we believe or how we behave? What's the starting point? I'm not saying behavior doesn't matter, but what's the starting point? And James says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who were turning to God. 
Aren't you glad he said that? This word difficult in the Greek, it's the, I told you Luke was very educated. It's the only time this word is used in the entire Bible. It's, this is the word in the Greek, it's paranocleo, and it means to cause trouble in a matter or to annoy. And what, what Luke is saying, what Luke is saying is, is this, it's annoying when you focus on behaviors, it makes it difficult for people to hear what we have to say. It makes it difficult. So I, I told you I was going to ask some questions. We've already had a lot of questions, but here's the big possible question. Two weeks ago, I, I asked this question and challenged our church. What's possible to a, for a church committed to all possible means, doing anything and everything to reach the world? Last week, I asked you what's possible for a church committed to prodigals and saying we are going to be about sons and daughters who just haven't made it back home yet. And today I want to ask you this question. What's possible for a church committed to making it easy for people to see Jesus? Because what's the opposite of difficult? Easy. If we're not going to make it difficult, can we make it easy? Don't you want to be a church that breaks down the barriers for people to hear and understand the gospel? Don't you want to be a church that paves a smooth road to the cross? Don't you want to be a church that gets everything out of the way and erases all the clutter so that the people can hear the crystal clear message of the gospel? Because here's the problem. The gospel's difficult. It's difficult. So what if we made our commitment straight out of the mouth of James, here's our commitment, that we will not make more difficult what is already difficult. We will not make more difficult what is already difficult. Because here's what I want to tell you. Here's why this is difficult. You want me to tell you why the gospel is difficult? The apostle Paul said the gospel is offensive. It is foolishness to the world. Because here's what's already difficult about it, okay? Believing Jesus rose from the dead is difficult. I mean, has anybody else ever done that? No, it's kind of like one in billions, right? That we believe a man physically and literally rose from the dead. So if you are someone that doesn't believe in the supernatural, we're asking someone to make a really big leap. That's difficult. Confessing my sin, admit, excuse me, admitting my need for a savior. Boy, that's antithetical to the good old American way. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can do it to say, no, I need you confessing my sin is difficult. Lord, I am broken. Lord, I sinned against you. Lord, I am wrong. Cause you have a hard time saying that to your spouse sometimes, don't you? Or to your kids or to your parents, or to your boss. Imagine how hard it is for a non-believer to say that to a God that they're new to. It's hard. And the last one is, dying to myself is difficult. The gospel is difficult. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is a hard place to get to. But here's, listen to me. We don't need to water down the message. This is the message of the church. We don't need to water down this very difficult message because the hope is in the message. The hope is that 
There is a living God who has defeated sin and death and you need a savior and you are broken and you are messed up. But the good news is that there is a savior who loves you. And yes, you have sinned. Yes, you are a mess. Yes, you are unclean, but there is a savior who died for you, whose blood covers you and presents you blameless before the throne of God. And I know you think dying to yourself is going to be so hard, but God is going to give you a new life that is so abundant. And listen, church, we don't need to water down the message. The hope is in the message. We just need to get out of the way so people can actually hear the message. Is that what non-believers think the message of the church is? Do they think that our message is that there is hope in the darkness, that there is grace and forgiveness where there is sin and transgression and there is abundant life in God? Or do they believe that the message of the church all across the world is we want you to behave like us? Boy, 2,000 years we messed it up, didn't we? How did we do that? Who would turn down the message? It's hope. We made it difficult because we let important things become primary things when they should have been secondary and we forgot about eternal things. So here's some of the things I think about. Does our worship make it easy? Do our sermons make it easy? Does our facility make it easy? Do our signs, our signage, does that make it easy? Does our website make it easy? Does our bulletin make it easy? Does our children's ministry make it easy? Does our student ministry make it easy? Because sometimes it ain't easy like Sunday morning to come to church. It's very difficult sometimes. We, we, we had a two-hour staff meeting this week. That it took us two hours to get from the parking lot to the coffee because we began working our way and saying, what's it like for a new person to come to our church? You know, we have nowhere on the exterior of our church that says welcome. If you're new here, if you're new in that parking lot, do you know where the front door is? I mean, we got a big drive through. I guess that's it. But there's like a bank of like five glass doors. Looks like I can go in any one of them. We spent two hours. We spend our time. But here's what I would say. That's what we spend our time doing. That's my job. That's our staff's job. But I did not ask you this question. What is possible for a church staff committed to making it easy to see Jesus? I ask you another question. What is possible for a church committed to making it easy to see Jesus? Because who's the church? We all are. Some of you thought I wasn't going to get back to that thing I said I was going to get back to. Is your personal commitment to the church, does that make it easy? For people to come to faith in Christ. So here's a few questions. Does the way you serve make it easy or more difficult for people to see Jesus on Sundays? In other words, if everyone else volunteered the way you volunteered, would it be easier or more difficult for people to experience Jesus on Sundays? And you're like, well, you know, pastor, I don't volunteer. We just have babies rolling around on the floor downstairs. Because right now there's an army of volunteers caring for the next generation. I mean, I'll give you an example. Like right now, one of the things that we, we feel like we need more people on our team is for parking lot and greeters. 
Because when a newcomer shows up and there aren't enough people to direct them where to go and what to do and where do I check my kid in, do you think that makes it easier or more difficult for that newcomer? Makes it more difficult so that when we get to this and I open the word, they are already frustrated. And it makes it difficult to hear what the message is. Let me give you another one. Does the way you give make it easier or more difficult for our church to reach people with the message of Jesus? In other words, if everyone gave like you gave, could we afford the coffee? Could we pay the bills? Kind of the last one. Could, yeah, if, yeah, maybe if we all give, we could get donuts again. That's right. <clears throat> and here's the bigger one. Does what people know about you personally, at the office, at the ball field, does that make it easier or more difficult? See, one of the problems with the American church and one of the reasons that I think American Christianity is struggling is that we have created this system where church is just a place that Christians go, where professional pastors and professional staff lead ministries, lead the organization. They're charged with growing the organization to meet the preferences of the parishioners, of the church members. But I don't think that is the intention of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't think that's what God meant the church to be. The way to transform a neighborhood, a community, a city, an office, and even a nation is the everyday witness of men and women and teenagers and even children in our elementary schools whose lives make it easy to believe that there is a living God. A people who don't just go to church, but a people who are equipped to be the church. What is possible for a church committed to making it easy for people to see Jesus all across Birmingham? It's almost as if Jesus said something about that. Do you remember Jesus, James's brother? It's like James said, my brother Jesus said it this way. By this, everyone in Birmingham will know that you're my disciples. If you... Have a cool worship service. That's how everybody knows. Or if you have chairs instead of pews, that's how they'll really know, right? No, no, if, I, if you use the right hashtag, or if you have a four Beham sticker on your car, or if you hang a Hobby Lobby farmhouse style Bible verse on your wall, <laughs> that'll be sure to, no, listen, no joke, no joke. I wrote this message. I come home one day from work this week. My wife has bought a new Hobby Lobby farmhouse Bible verse to put on the wall. It's really cute, honey. It's really cute. It doesn't make you a disciple, just so you know. She's got it right over her desk. If you love one another. If you love one another. If you love one another. That's how people will know. We will not make difficult, more difficult, what is already difficult. We will not make more difficult what is already difficult. It is so difficult for non-believers to believe 
that the holy God of the universe could love them. But if they see that love every day in you and me, we sure do make it easier to believe. A couple weeks ago, if you were here, I challenged our church to write down a name on a card. You know what they need, that name? I mean, we're going to work to make sure we have good signs when you invite them to church. We're going to work to make sure we have a really engaging worship service. We're going to work to make sure we got volunteers just coming out of our ears, serving in all the areas so that it's just Sunday mornings are great experiences. But what they need more than anything else, what will make it easier for them to believe that there is a living God if they see the living God alive in you. Let's not make it difficult. Let's make it easy because they see Jesus in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, sometimes we can get so caught up in all the sideways things. And we confess to you, God, that sometimes we just, we make it difficult. Lord, we we make it difficult by the way we treat people, by our language, by how we talk to people or talk about people. Lord, this whole digital world, holy smokes, God, sometimes we make it difficult on social media. And Lord, can we just confess that sometimes we get in the way of the message. And our lives, our lack of love for others creates roadblocks and obstacles to the cross. Lord, we're going to commit to you that we're going to be a church that's going to try everything we can do to make it easy for people to see the love of God in Jesus Christ every Sunday morning. But God, could we just confess to you personally, commit to you personally, that we want to be a people who pave a smooth road to the cross. That people might hear clearly the message that grace is alive, that forgiveness is alive, that wholeness is alive, and that mercy is alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our prayer team and elders are going to be down front, and I want to invite you to come during this time and pray. You can pray with one of them, or if you just want to kneel down, and I want you to pray for about you to do some business with God and say, Lord, I want to commit my life in my little circle of influence at the office, in my family, and I want to make it easy for people. I'm broken, I'm messed up, but I want to commit to make it easy as I can for people to see you in me. Would you stand and let's sing.